are the content rebels. We've got zero time for busy work that masquerades as marketing, and we're done with losing the impact of our big message just to satisfy some SEO or social media algorithm rules. This is a show about marketing for established soloish entrepreneurs who want to build real relationships with clients online. Join me each week as we make your content work for you. Hey, hey, friends, we are going to be talking about thought leadership in the age of AI today. And uh, it's kind of a spicy topic here. I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to get you thinking. You already know that thinking is one of my favorite things to do. So let's dive in. All right, before we get to the heavy, heavy topic of thought leadership in the age of AI, I want to tell you a little bit about a weekend I took away with some girlfriends way back in January. It was last weekend of January. We went out to the Oregon coast. And I'd been in this area, Depot Bay is what it's called. It's near Newport, if that helps you at all. It's kind of like middle Oregon coast or so. And I'd been there before, but I'd never been where I could really explore. I'd only been with my kids where you're kind of doing, you know, kid related things. And we took several walks on the beach, like wonderful, really good soul affirming walks. And on one of these walks, we saw the most incredible beach rock art. And I think I'm calling it the right name, beach rock art. It's basically someone, an artist, far more gifted than I, arranged all these rocks in different shapes and color patterns. And in this particular case, it was so beautiful. Uh, and I've seen many variations since then. I've seen quite a few online, but this was well, maybe, it was maybe only the second time I'd actually seen something like this in person. So if you haven't seen it before, just imagine cascading shapes and colors just artfully arranged on the sand. The thing about it is, and I, I very deeply felt this when I saw this back in January, I knew it was temporary. I knew that the next high tide was going to wash it away. And even so, someone took all of this time and skill to create this beautiful thing anyway. Beach rock art as a whole, like the vision for these art installations, it's, it's admirable. And I've got to think, their sense of accomplishment isn't diminished when it's gone. They still know that they created it, right? And those of us who are not mosaic artists, we appreciate it in person and in photos. It's still a work of art. And that's kind of how it is with any skill, really. When you're not good at something, it's so easy to hero worship those who are. With that, I want to make a little announcement. We are on episode 250 of this podcast. 250 freaking episodes. <laughs> and you might have heard 10 of them. You might have heard 100 of them. You might have a podcast of your own that's closing in on a similar number of episodes and you know how much work it is. Or you might be one of those who's admiring all the rest of us, but you haven't done it yourself. Either way, I think it's really easy to look at the work involved and just think, wow. And that leads really well into an email I got last week. Jeremy Enns, he's been on the podcast before. We'll link his episode in the show notes. He was talking about how when he puts together a podcast episode, it takes 15 plus hours for each one. And even knowing that amount of time, that's still not the, the real work. The real work is the vision. And it's the thing that often gets lost in the busy work of the podcast production schedule. It is the same with content. That's our big idea here. I want to go on and quote from Jeremy. He says, the real work is developing the ideas that make up the show. The real work is collecting the dots and then connecting them. It's idea generation, development, and articulation. And I love that so much because if you just insert the word content in some of those things, 
The real work is developing the ideas that go into your content. It's collecting dots. It's connecting them. All of that makes so much sense. And in this new, very (laughs) AI heavy world, this can be your opus. This can be your swan song moment. This can be the thing that you are that you are most remembered for. And a quick side note, by the way, on that whole swan song thing, I had always heard the swan song as like a culminating idea, or sorry, not even idea, a culminating work that represents all of the work you've done up to it so far. And when I looked it up, when I was thinking about the notes for this episode, I found out that the swan song is actually a myth. The idea behind a swan song is that it's the song a swan sings right before dying. It's a heart-wrenching, beautiful sound, and then it's just over because they're dead. That's not true, by the way. (laughs) We're not even sure that swans actually sing at all. This idea may have come from the mute swan that's like back in Europe, something like that, but it's not a real thing. So this whole idea that like your swan song is the last big work you do before you retire and go off into the ether is kind of false. And I would argue, actually, that the swan song is an instrument of perpetual growth, that you are constantly working on it to make something better. So when I say that the real work in content is developing the ideas that go into your content, not the actual execution of it, that's what I'm saying. Your swan song is a, a path of work that you are putting together a whole viewpoint that just gets better over time. So maybe the last piece of work you ever create is your best one, but it's not because you're done and you're about to die. It's because of all the work you put in along the way. The real work of content isn't producing it. It isn't in making a good idea work for um, for both a LinkedIn post and then an email. It's not in repurposing a podcast episode into a good rather than decent blog post. <laughs> no, the real work of content is in the strategy. It's in the vision for your content in the first place. This, this right here, this is how we are going to excel in AI-aged content creation. Our vision is is us. And and I think I've mentioned this meme on the show already. Don't worry, graphic designers, for AI to replace us, the client has to be able to accurately describe what they want. Whew, you can insert anything into that, by the way. It's not just graphic designers. It's, you know, sound producers, set designers, copywriters, anyone who, who makes a creative work, right? And rightfully so, a lot of them are worried. Some have already been fired for lesser quality AI-generated stuff, right? But that meme hits a a, a cultural truth, which is to use AI properly, you have to be able to prompt it properly. And that is something that I don't think is getting nearly enough play right now. For AI to replace your thought leadership, it would have to have ideas in the first place. It can collect all those things that are out there in the interwebs, right? But it cannot connect them. And it can't lay them out into a mosaic masterpiece of beach rock art where the sum of all the parts is so delightfully greater than the individuals. AI isn't saving you time yet because you need to give it a freaking point of view first. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about point of view. And I'm going to call myself out here because I have been moaning and groaning on social media for the last 
almost two weeks that I couldn't record this podcast episode because my voice was so scratchy or gravelly or a truck stop hard due to allergies. I don't normally have seasonal allergies. It's not been a fun, enjoying experience, by the way. I'm not very thrilled with it. But I've been moaning and groaning about it that I couldn't record this episode because I have had the notes written for this for well over a month. And I was so excited about it. And now I'm kind of grateful. (laughs) I'm grateful because just yesterday, I found this article on LinkedIn. And I found it, a woman named Kelly Dunning posted it. I don't think we're even connected. So someone else I know must have commented on her post. And, you know, I feel really privileged to be part of this commentary now because this article is so, so good. So, you know, well done, LinkedIn. Well done, algorithm. You worked for me for once. Why am I telling you all this? Kelly Dunning is a conversion copywriter. And that that particular piece of info is going to matter when you hear the perspective that I'm about to share. Okay, I'm quoting from this article now. Anyone who knows about fitness knows that strongmen and bodybuilders are two different kinds of fitness routines. The appearance of strength does not mean real strength. If you know how to write, then you don't need AI. If you don't know how to write, then you'll think AI is good enough when it isn't. How could you tell if you don't know how to do the job yourself? End quote. All right. Now that, my friends, is a perspective. And don't worry, I'm going to give credit here. This article is titled, Using ChatGPT and Other Writing Tools Makes You Unhirable. The article is written by a, a guy named Doc Burford. And why am I including this in here? I just happened to find this article yesterday, and now here I am recording the show. And I couldn't be more grateful because this is the perfect example of perspective and thought leadership. So let's continue on in the article. We're going to let Doc Burford build the perspective, keeping in mind that it's a conversion copywriter who shared this, and that's why I saw it. An AI can never understand consistent voice between different characters because it isn't thinking This is Jade. She talks like someone who's book smart, but hasn't heard a lot of words before, so she mispronounces things, and that means people underestimate her vast intelligence. Or, that's George. He uses the word ain't to affect a specific country boy vibe to disarm the people he's talking to and catch them off guard. Both characters are intelligent, but sound dumb. The AI can't tell that, much less keep it in mind between scenes. All right, so keep in mind. A conversion copywriter is who shared this, and our perspective is now clearly from someone who's talking about storytelling and creative writing. So the article then goes on to talk about how AI cannot think, it cannot understand, it will only ever create derivative content. When you want AI to be funny, it's only going to tell a joke that's already been told, for example. And for some kinds of writing, that may be okay. But You and I, we are talking about thought leadership here. You can't lead with derivative content. So now, (laughs) let's just call myself out again here a little bit. If you're catching on that I am talking about thought leadership, but referencing a whole lot of someone else's article that I just found yesterday, am I just doing the same thing? Am I just copying someone else's idea here? What if I told you, as I hinted before, that the author is a creative writer and his perspective is inherently different than my own. And then what if I told you that he's not only a creative writer, 
but Doc Burford writes gaming stories for video games. Does that change your opinion at all? I'm not just collecting the rocks on the beach and dropping them randomly. I am connecting them. I am rearranging them into a new work. I'm using someone else's perspective to inform my own, and in turn, I'm giving you a new perspective. That's how thought leadership begins. I'm taking some ideas that a creative gaming writer had that were shared by a conversion copywriter and turning them into a discussion on how or why thought leadership can or cannot be affected by AI. The point isn't claiming that every piece of thought leadership comes completely from you. We are mosaics, just like the beach rock art. We're kaleidoscopes of ideas. We're ever rearranging and ever changing. The point here is that you have to have ideas and you have to be able to put them together in a way that makes it easy for others to understand. All right, so Doc Burford's article more or less closes with, and I say more or less because there are a lot of curse words in this last paragraph. And uh, well, I often listen to podcasts with my kids in the car and I'm trying to be cognizant of that particular thing. So I'm uh, doing a little editing here. But he says, for the still not convinced, if you need an AI to come up with ideas for you, you don't even belong in the room because coming up with ideas is literally the most basic skill to have. A basketball player who can't dribble does not belong in the NBA. So why do you think you deserve a spot on my writing team if you need a computer to do what any freaking eight-year-old can do? Take the hint, you fraud. If you need AI to do the most basic tasks required of you as a writer, then you aren't employable as a writer. Period. You're a waste of everyone's time. End quote. Okay. Whether you agree with that or not, can we acknowledge it is a bold perspective? And I know exactly where he stands on this. And just because I'm quoting it here, by the way, does not mean I necessarily agree with it. If you are a longtime listener of the show, you know why I use AI tools. I like AI tools. I like them for very specific reasons, though. And you might not be a writer looking to get on his uh, video game writing squad. You're going to have a very different take on this than someone he's actually writing to might have a take on, right? That's the whole beauty of having opinions and having viewpoints. If you don't love creating content, that's okay. There's help both with AI and without, i.e. someone like me. But even if you're going to do that, you need the thought to prime it. That's from you. You need to cast the vision. You need to choose which beach rocks to pick and which direction to face them and how far apart they're going to be from one another. When Elia Finkelstein, back a few episodes on 245, said, don't outsource your critical thinking, this, this right here is what she meant. Thought leadership requires you to, shocker, have thoughts. And that means you need to be thinking a lot, but you need to be thinking in a way that marries different ideas, that turns the kaleidoscope of input you have from your world into thoughts worth listening to. At a minimum, content worth listening to means that your best clients will, one, see things in a step-by-step way so that they can see themselves moving through those steps to get to their desired result. Two, build trust with you along the way so that not only do they see that you know what you're talking about, but you can be the one to guide them to that desired result. And then three, positions you to actually deliver the result for them. 
your swan song is the work of doing this so well that you get to a piece of content that just clicks. So where does AI fit into this? It's going to help you shape your thinking into whatever various content formats you want to distribute. Here's what AI is great at. It's great at helping you turn a complete thought journey into a LinkedIn carousel or an Instagram carousel or a tweet thread if you still think Twitter is a thing, that is. It's good at helping you come up with an analogy or a story to illustrate a point if you don't have a story ready to go from your own lived experience. It's good at turning a riff or a dialogue that you've recorded, aka a podcast episode that you blurted out without notes so it's not very organized, into a structured conversation or into a structured blog post. It's good at rephrasing a thought in another tone or voice. I've talked about that on the show before. And it's good at helping you create graphics and imagery to illustrate your metaphors. Except, by the way, it's not good at beach rock art. I spent an embarrassingly large amount of time trying to make a graphic for this episode. And I did that all before recording since I couldn't record since my voice was all allergy gravelly. (laughs) But I really struggled creating beach rock art. So maybe it's only sometimes good at creating graphics and imagery to illustrate your metaphors, right? And then finally, it's good at pulling quotes from a video. It's one of my favorite ways to use AI so I don't have to pour over the transcript again and again. AI is good at those things, but it is not great at being you or giving you distinctive thoughts that no one in your niche has built upon yet. That's where you have to come in. That's where your special sauce exists. That's why in the personality-driven marketing framework that I use with my clients, you showing up, yes, you, is one of the three main pillars. So if you want to AI-proof your marketing plan, what you need to do here is spend some time thinking about a few different things. So one is the thing you can't stand. And, you know, it's usually that thing that you know if people just stopped doing it, they would fix half of their problems instantly. You want to spend some time thinking about the thing that's actually your best client's problem even if they don't know it yet, or they haven't acknowledged it, or they think it's something else, usually a you know, higher level problem than it really is, right? You want to spend some time thinking about one, or even three, but preferably one thing that you really want to start seeing your people do, or do better. And you want to think about the aha moment when you figure out any of these things. These are your flags. They are your hills. They are the basis of your authority opinions, and these are the things that will make you stand out. From there, you can play with wording, you can play with phrasing, you can toy with the positioning and the branding of the ideas. You can use AI to help you say it another way, now that you have the right thought to share. This is where we're going to backtrack to the beach rocker. You knew I was going to close this, right? The collecting of pretty rocks is one thing, but it's the arrangement of them that makes it art. This is where you get to take it from messy to marvelous. These contrary opinions are the foundation of your thought leadership, and no one or robot can take that away from you. So if you need help being the leader in your marketing with a done-for-you plan that builds upon your thought leadership and helps you engage with clients online, I am ready to open up one additional spot this summer. Yes, I thought I was completely at capacity, and it turns out... I got a little extra space and I'm very excited to offer it to you. You can reach out, of course, via my website. It's linked in the show notes as always or on LinkedIn. I'm pretty engaged with messages on there. I just want to help you. 
I just want to help you because my goal with this episode isn't to say AI is bad. I am not like Doc Burford. I don't think it's the devil. I think it has not just a time and a place, but it can really burgeon some of the ideas that you have, but you have to have the ideas in the first place. And I am really good at teasing those out of you. With that, see you next week. If you found value from this episode, there are two things you can do to thank me. The first is share it with a friend. If you enjoyed this episode, you learned something from it, odds are you know somebody who needs to hear this message. I do truly believe that a rising tide lifts all boats. And if you help that friend with something that they need to do, we're going to have less crappy marketers out there, which means less scams, and we get to help more people in those ways that we uniquely are meant to help them. The second thing you can do is leave a rating on whichever podcast app you are listening to the show on right now. Doing that helps me reach more people, getting, again, this same great information out there, and we all make a better, happier, effective, and ethical world as a result. Thanks so much. See you next week.